In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy Friday. Let's meet the crew. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies, and I'm all by myself this week. But I'm actually not all by myself, because we do have two special guests to talk about something very in culture and in, in politics and everything right now. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you'd like to listen. And hey, while you're on Apple Podcasts, wouldn't it be swell if you could write a quick review about the show? By doing that, you'll be helping other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a thank you, we'll give you a very special shout-out on our next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want from the show moving forward. It's all on Upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod, or you can send an email to MothershipPod at usatoday.com. So it's July 4th next week, but also the first Democratic presidential debates were this week. So we figured it might be a fun time to talk about our favorite presidents from film and TV. Joining me today are two folks who know their stuff. Co-hosts of the Unredacted podcast, Emily Branwin, back for her second trip aboard the Mothership, and Philippe Rhinus. Emily, as you might remember, was a stand-up comedian before working for the CIA as an operations officer, while Philippe was a senior advisor to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. In other words, if they taught a high school government class, it would rule. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And thank you for the compliment. I, I think I'd be a good teacher. I'd be really mean. I think you guys rule. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. What are we ruling? What's <laughs> the our class. What's our territory? Oh. With an iron fist. They meant like a seven kingdoms kind of world. Yeah. Came in. Oh. Emily, we put you on the spot last time explaining your job. Um, this time is Philippe's turn. So what's it like to be a senior advisor to a cabinet member? It's really no different than being a senior advisor to a senator, which she was beforehand, as well as a presidential candidate. The biggest difference, well, the difference between the two is you go from a Senate office that's really kind of 60 people to a department like state where it's 60,000 people. And of those 60,000, less than 200 are your own appointees or the president's appointees. So the role in that in that context isn't just being an advisor to Secretary Clinton in my case, but to whoever heads the agency. It's to be the connective tissue to the sort of permanent bureaucracy because they're the ones that run the department. They're the ones that make everything go. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, I had heard that you actually took Secretary Clinton to Longshot. I did. Did she um, like it? Because it's a great film. She did. What was funniest about it, so this is how it came about. I saw Longshot. I, I love movies. I go to movies all the time. I have movie pass. I am one of the people that 
makes movie pass uh, a good business but also makes it an implausible or an un- unsustainable business. <laughs> You're going to bankrupt them. <laughs> so, um, Sorry, Amy. I saw a long shot and I thought it was so cute. It was really well done. But it was also really accurate uh, in terms of a few things, both the interior of the plane, the interior of uh, the secretary's office. And I could tell it had uh, expert consultation. So I, I waited to see the credits and Boy, are credits long. I don't know the last time you ever stayed for credits. I mean, it was like 12 minutes. Every they, Marvel movie, you have to stay for the credits. So. You have yeah, to, because the it. end. Yeah. Well, I didn't it. think there'd be long shot outtakes, but um, I finally, and, and sure enough, it was people I know who worked for, for Secretary Kerry. So I, I got home and I, I emailed Hillary and, um, and two other people, uh, the kind of core unit, uh, her team. And I said, I just saw this movie. If you're looking for a really cute movie, you should see Longshot. It's about, you know, Secretary of State. Um, I think we really like it. And Hillary responded, um, well, great. I'll be in D.C. next week. <laughs> Why don't we all go? And I was like, okay, that's great. Now, the problem was, did you see Longshot? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, uh, this is a family-friendly podcast, so I assume I can't really go into. Well, I- I'll, I'll talk around it. So. Look, any movie these days has its degree of um, language and uh, colorful scenes. Longshot has a particularly colorful scene that as soon as Hillary said, let's go, I thought this might not be the best idea. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to be uh, sort of vague about it. If anyone in the audience has seen it, they'll understand exactly. It's, it's a little bit, um, there's something about Maryish. Uh, the early on, uh, not not the early on. Well, the early on scene, and also later when um, uh, Cameron Diaz Cameron Diaz takes something that's hanging from his ear and makes it into hair gel. Makes it into hair gel, and it's not hair gel. So there's a similar scene like that. Um, so we got to the movies, and it was it was like a 9:50 p.m. showing, and the best part of it was we sat. Down and she had never been in recliner seats. I just take it for granted now that every theater, and they're not, the place she goes in, in Westchester didn't have it, so she's like a little kid. She keeps hitting the buttons to make it go forward, go back. She just like, she's absolutely <laughs> just so marveled by the chair. The preview start, and boy, when you really, when you're, when you're going with to a movie with the former Secretary of State and former presidential nominee, you really get attuned to how raunchy <laughs> previews are. <laughs> like even, you know, these kids' movies are extensive. Not, I don't mean rated G movies, but even these like coming-of-age teenage movies. Anyway, um, she she loved it. Uh, she I thought she'd fall asleep only because I, I was going to fall asleep. What was So aside from the chair part, which again was hysterical, and um, Emily actually met her the day after, and we talked a little bit about it when we interviewed her for for our podcast on Redacted, and I brought up the movie, and her first thing was, is I don't understand, you know, writers in Hollywood need a thesaurus. Everything is F this, F that, and she was saying it full on, I'm not saying Which it. was delightful, by the way, to hear <laughs> Secretary Clinton actually drop the F-bomb a few times. I was like, oh, please do it again, do it again, say yeah. it again. Do it again, do it I literally was like, did she say that? And I kind of looked at Philippe and he's, he gave me a look. I'm like, oh, she's really saying. Yeah, I mean, it. she's not a you know, she's not a foul mouth, but no. uh, she was she was accurately pointing out that it was saying a lot. But um, the uh, the funniest part was as 
we were just sitting there waiting for the movie to start, it was surprising. Like I got to do this thing where I kind of time movies so that they're out for a couple of weeks. And I try to see like a daytime movie where there's no one else there. And I'll look at Fandango or <laughs> the movie's website to, to time it. And there was no one there. And the night before, suddenly there were a couple dozen seats sold to the point where I thought maybe the theater or someone told someone because the Secret Service went the day before. And I couldn't tell how many seats the Secret Service was, was buying around her. And as people came into the theater, you could see they'd look over at her and think, is that Hillary Clinton? No. Why the hell would be Hillary Clinton be at a movie at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until we left that people processed it was her. But it was, you know, and every time I looked over her, she's pushing the buttons. <laughs> the, the recliners going forward, going back. The footrest is going up, going down. What was her movie snack? She not only didn't have one, she refused. Um, we had a nice thing of popcorn. We had some sour Skittles, um, some Sour Patch Kids. She wanted none of it. <sighs> she really enjoyed it. It's a cute movie. Yeah, it's really good. Everyone yeah. should see it. I think I gave it five stars on the movie pass. I never give anything five stars. Well, yeah, and you can be your own movie reviewer on that thing, too. Uh, oh, probably, I yeah. absolutely can. I can sit. Let's get rid of these people. You and I can talk about movies <laughs> for, for <sure>. ever. <laughs> um, so, knowing what you guys know, what's been the most accurate presentation of what goes on in a presidential administration in a TV or film? What have you found that kind of like really nails it? So, I'd split it in two. There's the visuals, which um, Longshot really nails in terms of where you spend your time: offices, limousines, motorcades. The show that is uncanny in terms of the principal and staff and the absurdity that goes on is Veep to the point where the I know myself and I know others that we watch Veep and we think is there someone among us that's been consulting and it and it uh it shows who's consulting and I know them and only one or two of them have actually worked directly for a president in the White House but they just nail it I mean, obviously no one's running around saying what Selena's saying and saying it that colorfully. <laughs> but the notion of the stupidest little mistakes becoming the biggest deals and the principal just looking at their staff and being like, what the hell's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be helping me and you're more than a bird. You're more of a burden than anything else. It just really hits home. I, 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 and it's surprising because it's the last one that should. The West Wing, I don't, we didn't always walk around in the hallways at an incredibly fast pace talking to each other. Um, Veep. I'm going to go with Veep. Emily, how about you? I'm not going highbrow. I was going to go more lowbrow. Like, I make a point of ruining every CIA movie or TV show for everybody. It's truly, I feel like it's it's the role I was born to play, and they call me the CIA ruiner. You ruined the recruit for me last time. I think I demolished it. You did, yeah. I, you're like, I have so much joy in that movie. I'm like, not anymore, <laughs> you don't. Let me let me just rip that from you. So I like, and I, I'm almost ashamed to say it because I think Philippe will roll his eyes, but I kind of love Scandal. And I know there's nothing realistic about it whatsoever, but I enjoyed that. And I loved West Wing because I like the idea that everyone runs around speaking in monologue. They they really don't really talk to each other, really. It's really just one long monologue and one other long monologue spoken in, like, a patter, which is kind of delightful. 
And everybody's that clever. Every, so Sorkin smart. Sorkin-esque clever, yeah. I was like, I worked in D.C. Nobody was that clever. I was like, really, <laughs> where were you guys? Because you were not at the CIA. But very, very clever. So would would Bartlett go on your favorite president list? Uh, who who, yes. who are your kind of your favorites? Bartlett would. And then what's the name? The Michael Douglas American president. Andrew Shepard. Andrew, oh, yep, God. Yep. That wow, like did I test. dig Jesus, that out? Be like a quiz. Well, oh my be, God. well, because he has a speech. Right. My name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the president. And then Richard Dreyfuss is like falling into a seat at some <laughs> lodge. <laughs> that was impressive. But yeah, I liked him a lot because he was just it made him seem very relatable, like he's an everyman kind of thing. Um, I was going to say designated survivor just because I like when Kiefer Sullivan whispers all the time because that's just how he acts. Not that it's realistic. I just like seeing him get really angry and whispery. Well, that's the interesting thing about that show is, you know, I th- I haven't watched it since like the second season because it kind of went off the rails a little bit for me. But that's totally an interesting that's an interesting concept that you know we've never seen before. It's just like, you know, the designated survivor. Somebody blows up Congress. The one guy who doesn't want to be president and probably maybe shouldn't be president um, is the is the guy who has to be president you know the the you you kind of go the scenario from there and that's never been done before and has never happened before so I think you know it's that's an interesting concept it gives you know it gets really soapy and kind of like I was gonna murdery say, but you know a little murdery a little I love that that's the adjective yeah. we're using it's just a little it's a skosh murdery don't, don't <laughs> get me started on Disney's fire because it's not accurate that's not how yeah. the that's not how the uh the line of succession works. He would have been president for five minutes. And that woman who I'm blanking on her name that shows up from Congress. Oh, yeah. And I, and I yeah. is it Virginia Madison's case? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she would become president because she outranks him. If she's the only one left, she could designate herself speaker. And if anyone becomes president below speaker, they're acting president. Like if, the vice president dies, they become president. If the vice president and the president die, they become speaker becomes president. Anything beyond that is acting until someone else higher um, is put in office. So she could have made a really good case for it. I'm, I'm obsessed she with makes this a lot topic. Of, she makes a lot of cases in the show, and that's like the one she doesn't. Yeah. Like the real one. I, I thought because they're not <laughs> – I thought the first day she com- came in, she was going to be like, hold on, buddy. This is how it works, Show's but over. it's Wait, so <laughs> obscure. I mean, I, I've spent. Was a, that your Virginia Madsen impression? I've I've spent <laughs> an inordinate amount of time trying to understand the line of succession, and boy, is it blurry. And if you look at the number of amendments that we've passed, a good like quarter of them have been clarifying things like line of succession or electoral college. Um, anyway, ask me anything about the line of succession. I don't know. You probably know a lot more than me. <laughs> well, here. So, you know, the big thing is is that they hide a cabinet member at State of the Union. Right. So. Um, How like do you here, get to be the, the person? I would like want to skip not a random. Speech. It's not random. The, the White House chief of staff's office picks it. First of all, it has to be someone that's qualified. So, you know, when Bill Clinton was president, they wouldn't pick Madeleine Albright because she's not qualified. Not qualified. She's not eligible to be president because she wasn't born in the United States. But one year, I think 20, 2010, they had designated Eric Holder, the attorney general, to be the missing cabinet member. It turns out that at the last minute, uh, we had to go, we being the Secretary of State, went to London um, for a conference 
and it didn't occur to anyone that she outranked Holder, <laughs> that there was no <laughs> point in putting Holder anywhere, that she, if something, God forbid, had happened, she outranked it. But this is where it gets dicey. And, and this, I didn't know this till recently. The Congress started hiding people, um, including, I think, Bob Byrd. They started hiding people in 2006 because they were so concerned about what um, the Republicans would do if something happened um, under the Bush administration, that they started hiding senior senators for the very reason that I said about Virginia Madsen, that if something were to happen, a United States senator would ultimately outrank because whoever the oldest senator is is the president pro tempore. If everyone's wiped out, you're the oldest senator. For instance, if the next day of the union, if Marco Rubio has a cold and he stays home, he would ultimately outrank, you know, the secretary of labor. Things they don't tell you in civics class. This I, is why our civics class would rule. I know, exactly. I, I like the idea that they're hiding people because I have this impression that it's like hide and go seek. You're like, stand behind the curtains, you. You're going to be behind the chair. You underneath the mattress. Well, it's pretty bad. I'm trying to remember who it was. A cabinet secretary, Dan Glickman, secretary of agriculture, was designated once. And apparently, you know, this is pre 9-11, so it wasn't hiding them in the bunker. They took him to New York. He like went to a play and the State of the Union ended and, and President Clinton made it back to the uh, White House. And when the play was over, the lights came up and and the Secret Service was nowhere to be seen. They had left Glickman because he, he no longer had any utility to them. <laughs> Well, it's just interesting, you know, just by watching the news, we get the sense that, like, the government is full of, like, paranoid crazy people right now. But, like, it sounds like they've always been full of cra- paranoid crazy people. Yeah, I think that sort of goes back to the founding of our, of our <laughs> exactly. country. Um, what John Adams on HBO yeah, you know, That's actually that. a really interesting question about when the practice started. A, a lot of this started with JFK because they they realized with JFK that there was a real hole in the system that if he had lived but remained in a vegetative state. And that's been the impetus for a lot of this, including the 25th Amendment, which has gotten a lot of conversation in the last two years because Donald Trump is out of his mind. But what the 25th really did was to clarify the ascension of the vice president, because before then, it was unclear whether they really were president in a permanent sense and it was really strange before that you couldn't pick your vp mid term so we've had periods of time where the president has died by one way or another and the vice president become president and then that person has operated without a vp for years i think including um well truman truman had only been in office for i think like 10 weeks when FDR was killed, it died. And when at the end of FDR's third term, I don't know why one of his 10 VPs left, but he went without a VP. This is someone who was sick throughout his tenure, and especially as time went on, who didn't have a VP. So they fixed it and they put in the Gerald Ford rule where Congress could could pick someone. Is the room now where they where the designated survivor is, is it kind of just like really cool? Is it like movies, I, a popcorn machine? Is I it, have no idea. I don't. No idea? I don't think it's a room. Where is it? I think it could be anywhere. It could be their home. It could be 
Oh, it's I had this idea like Designated Survivor where it's, you know, kind of a post like, Yeah, it's like a little like a little bunker. Room. Exactly. Where like, you're you yeah. know Well, nice... I saw the first Designated Survivor, the pilot, and it's sort of like that where there's popcorn and there's That's uh, what I was hoping. Like a I was hotel like, room. I, I don't I hope there's snacks. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they do now. I think okay. the point is that we don't know what they do. Well, I think I think we've probably given given Designated Survivor like <laughs> this is the biggest ad like Netflix See, could ever. Is it still on? It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh, it, so it's not on CBS anymore. Yeah, they can say f- all the time now. Interesting. Yeah. Well, does Virginia Mads- Madsen say get the f- out of my job? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, so okay, so Tom Kirkman doesn't isn't big high on your list. Who is f- on fictional presidents? So I'm gonna go with the obvious. Um, Actor, but in very unobvious role. So Martin Sheen, but not in West Wing. Martin Sheen in the Dead Zone is, I think, one of the more entertaining characters. And if anyone hasn't seen it, because it probably dates ourselves a little bit, even worse is a reboot. But it's Christopher Walken movie where the president turns out to be just his whole point of doing this is that he wants to blow up the world. Um, and he becomes president, or in a in a primary in a parallel universe, he becomes president and does exactly that. But Christopher Walken can see the future and and assassinates him. But I thought Martin Sheen was pretty good in that. Not exactly the best American president we've had, but <laughs> Martin Sheen shares. So I had, I had dinner a few years ago with Tony Goldwyn. Oh um, yeah, and I told Tony Goldwyn that he. And Martin Sheen are the only two actors I can name who have played both presidents and chiefs of staff. Because Martin Sheen does it in American President. Tony Goldwyn does it in uh, The Pelican Brief. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. You are a font of knowledge. I just saw Clear and Present Danger last night, and I'm blanking on his name. They're all good. The, The thing that's really weird to me is we've unfortunately, out of 44 men who have served we've only had one african-american president but boy in movies where the world is about to explode they all have african-american presidents um uh 24 24 had two two. danny uh danny glover in um 2012 the movie 2012 Mm -hmm. morgan freeman in deep impact uh jamie fox in white house uh not White House Down, the other one. It seems really horrible. Olympus that, is falling. Olymp- no, no, White House Down. Yeah, White House Down. Yeah, yeah. White House Down. It I seems horrible that every time Hollywood needs to cast an African American, a president in in a situation where the country doesn't survive, that they that they choose minority. What about women? Because I'm trying to think. There's been we in, have uh, House of Cards. Independence Day too has, um, right? Uh, and what, what's it? And Melly from. Scandals. She's absolutely gorgeous. Not Selena, but it's. She's certainly the most gorgeous fake person we've ever had. And Gina Davis. Gina Davis. In, oh yeah. In was Commander in Chief. Yes. Think. Yeah. That that was not a. That was like on for like a hot second. Does yeah. Taya Leone become president? And uh, I feel like she uh, she might run for president. I stopped watching that show too. Me too. Charlize Theron. I would have voted for her. I would have voted for her. She's yeah. also lovely in real life. Just run out there. I used to run. I sometimes see her with her kids getting frozen yogurt in L.A. Just wanted to throw I, it. I, I can't get past anyone who's dated Sean Penn. Sort of a demerit right there. So if 
So you're telling me Charlize was like, hey, you want to go out? And you're be like, no. Well, not only that, but she's been quoted in the last few months saying she's incredibly single and no one ever asks her out. Maybe it's the Sean Penn factor. It, it could be. I'll or the fact her. that she's Charlize Theron yeah, and she's intimidating, that too. probably. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. So who's the worst? Absolute worst. The worst TV, the worst mm-hmm. just someone fictional you can't, president. You can't, like, like, just when you think of it, you're just like, oh, God. Hmm. That's a tough one. I'm I'm blanking. Me too. Because it's usually just so cool that they're present. What's 1600 pen? Uh, oh, that sitcom? With Wesley this Snipes. Is... No, 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 not, not the sitcom. Oh, I meant the, the Josh Gad no, 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 no. Yeah, that's what I thought. Me too, <laughs> which I loved, and I was so sad it went away. No, Wesley Snipes. Um. I'm trying to remember who the, Alan Alda is the bad guy and the president is someone else. Which I think is lovely because I like seeing Alan Alda as a bad guy because I yeah, think it was he's, terrible. And he played the president in Canadian Bacon. Alan Alda. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I can't, I can't, now remember you're that, digging that, deep. I can't yeah. remember that one that, that he was rice. Well, no, there was the, and then there was, um, there was, um, there was the one with I mean, Ackroyd and movies. Ack- Ackroyd and James or no, James Garner. Where the two of them go on the run. Yeah, I love that yeah. movie. It's totally stupid, but I love it. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. With Jack Lemmon right. and and, uh, and Jake Jim Garner going on the run because they're being hunted by the current president. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Ac- well, Dan, Dan Ackroyd. Dan Ackroyd turns out not to be, Dan Ackroyd's not the bad guy. It's the VP. VP. It's yeah. a sort of numbnut VP. But that's a funny movie because they were uh, Garner and Lemon defeated each other or one knocked the other out and one's Democrat, one's Republican. They just bicker <laughs> the entire time. That's a cute movie. Yeah. Any movies with presidents tend to be just funny or cute. What about the one with Mandy Moore in it? What's Ameri- that? Wasn't it American Daughter? That was Kate. What was it? No, Katie that Holmes? was K- Katie Holmes. First daughter. Was it first, first daughter? daughter? But what's, wasn't Michael, there... Michael Keaton was the father, was Wait the president. Wasn't there a Mandy Moore one with... Might have been, but the... First daughter movie is yeah, first Katie. daughter. Is Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes and Michael Keaton. But huh. no, you're right though, because though there was one Manny. Oh God! But that's the Pretender. <laughs> well, I, I remember they came out. Oh, you know who doesn't get enough credit? Though. Is Jeff Bridges yeah. in the Contender? Yeah. I I I'm not even a huge Jeff Bridges fan, but boy does he knock it out of the park in Contender. Chasing Liberty. Chasing, Chasing Liberty. Liberty. Yes. There uh, you go. If you got, hold on a second. If you got to use Google to find out, Wait, no, then no. it's not a real movie. You were looking at Google before we even got on the show to give yourself no, some I just prep. Couldn't, I couldn't remember the Christopher Walken movie. But what? this rest of this stuff I've been doing from been years doing. of obsession. Yeah. Chasing Liberty. I feel validated. So in the spirit of debates. Yes. So Andrew Shepard, Jed Bartlett, and well, I'm going to throw in Thomas Whitmore from Independence Day. Because he's a great orator. Mm. Who, who wins that debate? It's not Bill Pullman. Oh. Bill Pullman's sort of like, uh. I feel bad uh, for uh, Bill Pullman because I feel like everyone confuses him for like every other actor that kind of looks Bill the Paxson. same. Or Bill Paxton. Well, Bill Paxton's yeah. dead now, so that. Well, it's even worse to be confused that, with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but any Bill, there was like, you know, the Bill guy. Well, here's the problem comparing Bartlett and Andy Shepard. Just to remind the viewers that I, I remembered the Andy Shepard name just yes. absolutely out of nowhere. They're both Sorkin movies, and actually, a bunch of their lines are identical. There are a lot of lines in uh, American President that were then in West Wing. I think Bartlett. 
I think Bartlett, because Bartlett at his peak, at his sharpest, was just unstoppable. One of the best scenes in West Wing is when he's, um, I'm blanking on his name, but Barbara Streisand's husband. Brolin? Brolin. Brolin paid, played his competitor. and uh, That's my wheelhouse. You just said Babs. I'm like, I'm here for you. <laughs> it's my wheelhouse. Brolin and Bartlett have this awkward meeting during a play in New York. And um, Bartlett is a little condescending. And Brolin, you know, explains why he doesn't like Bartlett. And then he does the famous, Bartlett says, I'm a little distracted, one of my agents was just killed. And Berlin says, hmm, crime, I don't know. And then a few minutes later, Bartlett is walking out of the room and says, just so you know, crime, hmm, I don't know, is the moment I decide to kick your ass. I bet you everyone listening just got the chills the way I it did was. It, it was like he was right here in the room. <laughs> I closed my eyes and I thought, oh my God, am I in the West Wing right now listening? Your reenactment was amazing. Andy Shepard is also, he doesn't have his footing. It's only at the very end he kind of gets his. Because love, love lifts him up. Love, well, love got in the way. That's yeah. a very optimistic way to look at that love lifting up. But <laughs> love also cost him 10 points of approval rating. <laughs> So Emily, we didn't get to your worst. My worst. And who you're picking? Who you're well, picking? Do you know I feel bad? Like, so, yeah, some of the ones movies I feel like a little ashamed. I haven't seen. I've never seen Independence Day. Should I oh feel shame about that? You should. You should watch Independence Day, not the second one. What about the, the third or the fourth one? I'm sure there was a. There's only two. two. Yeah. Yeah. Really? There was like twenty. It was twenty years between between. Okay. And they should have never gone back. What about the? Who's the president in the Harrison? Ford won the Jack Ryan. Wasn't wasn't that? A That's what we're talking about. Clear and present danger. That's clear and present danger. Yeah, I'm not good. Some of these I and he seen. played president. Well, there's also one. that's what I was thinking. There's also some of all fears. That's right. Did James Earl Jones ever become president in one of those? No. I can't remember. He actually dies. No, James Earl. Well, in the books, Jack Ryan becomes president. Right. Right. That's why I couldn't remember if that happened. That happened in the movies, but I don't think. No, that's very no. realistic. That a CIA analyst will then become president. Not at all realistic <laughs> at all. I'll just ruin it all. Well, in part because of an attack on Congress, the State of the Union, someone flies there. But this is pre nine eleven. This was a Tom Clancy scenario that someone flew their plane into the Capitol. Dun dun! Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting kind of looking at different, you know, administrations and the movies that came out in those administrations. Do you feel like our culture and our movies reflect, you know, you go back to the 70s and, you know, all the president's men, obviously, but kind of like there was a lot of paranoid, you know, kind of like three days of the condor kind of like paranoid mm-hmm. stuff in the Nixon era. And, you know, I think I feel like now we're going to have a lot of things like long shot, more uplifting things because, you know, our government's a garbage fire. So, you know, do you do you feel like there's a lot of that where, you know, you know, those presidential movies kind of reflect? Well, I mean, the the one that comes to mind is Nixon. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, I think, really nails Nixon, which is odd because, you know, Sir Anthony is British and doesn't necessarily look like him, but really captured it. I don't know if you've seen 13 Days, but uh, Bruce Greenwood plays JFK. 
he does it really well. I mean, that's another question he explores. Who who plays real what real life presidents? Who True. nailed that? Yeah. Yeah. Um like I I love Tim Matheson. Not exactly sure he was the best Ronald Reagan in some TV movie about the assassination. That. It was with the woman from Sex and City who had played Nancy. Uh, yes. Uh, Cynthia ran for governor. Cynthia Nixon. Thank you. And like um, I think Frank Langella is like a better Nixon and, and Frost Nixon uh, than, than he's amazing. Than Anthony Sir Anthony. Yeah, yeah. The problem I think with Langella is that it's so much of it is shot in the confines of the interview, mm-hmm. while Hopkins is a lot of it in the White House. You really sort of get the sense of um the state of mind he was in in his final throes. Right. Kevin Bacon is interesting in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. As like Nixon's aide. Well, and Barry Boswick played George Washington. And, you know, I, that was like- Well, now you you're know, going way back. As a kid, that was like- I mean, you got Daniel Day-Lewis playing Lincoln. Yeah, and it's just, but, you know, I think I think for me, like Barry Boswick as George Washington, that was like my first like, you know- oh, But there's this nothing cool to compare presence. that to. Yeah, You exactly. don't know what yeah. Washington was really like. We right. don't even know. We don't know really what Lincoln was like. Like it gets to the point where, I guess FDR might be sort of the beginning of when we have a sense of what people were like. They were on camera. They were captured. Their voice was captured. Oh, um, in Pearl Harbor, uh, John, the the wacko who's pro Trump. Oh, John Voight. John Voight is really good as FDR. Random fun fact, John Voight goes to every movie premiere in L.A. It doesn't matter if he's in it. He just likes to go. So every time you go to a movie premiere, you always see John Voight. Just throwing it out there. So before we let you go. Um... I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> You're just going to stay. stay. <laughs> We're just getting warmed up on movies. Um, just well, What's coming up on your podcast that people need to listen to? Do you have any special guests coming up? Or we do. We cool also, episodes? I'd also say. If you haven't listened to it, we've had some great guests on, too, that are worth visiting. We had a young up-and-comer, Hillary Rodham Clinton, on. And we had a great, great discussion. And we were with her for about 90 minutes. We divided that into two different podcasts. What was great is she was incredibly candid, just very open and very generous. We asked her all sorts of questions. And then we got a little, we got to, you know, ask her some silly questions, too. Of course, I asked her about musical theater, which was amazing. Um we had Evan McMullen, who ran for president. Against Hillary Clinton. Against Hillary. And he was, I thought he was fantastic. I love talking to him because he's also former CIA. And so he was great. I think what's been nice for, and I'll speak for you as well, Philippe, but I think what's been nice for all of us is just being able to talk to some really interesting people, but not having it be negative. Because I think so much right now in the in politics, in the news, is so heavy. And back to your story about are you seeing more aspirational movies about politics? I think we are because I think we kind of crave that at this point because we're so every time we look on Twitter, you know, there's a dumpster fire. We turn on the news. There's a dumpster fire. So I think there's something almost liberating about seeing a movie where you have Charlize and Seth Rogen, you know, gallivanting around. I think we we kind of need that. And so what we've also tried to do is be a little bit more you know, goal oriented and be more, you know, about having some positivity, not just saying, you know, the world is a dumpster fire, which we all know it is. But what can we do to change that? What are some ways that we can get involved? And I think we offer those solutions as well. And we offer that in the conversation, just so it's a little bit more inspirational. And it is, it's more glass half full than half empty. 
And on that note, go watch the American president and let love lift you up. Yes. It, you know, at one point they were writing a sequel. To the American president? Yeah. I believe that. I remember it was kind of like a surprise hit when it came out. Yeah. yeah. It was so lovely. A little rom coming. So where can folks find you online? They can go to the Deep State Radio website, of course, and you can download it there. Um, but also iTunes, Stitcher, all the other places where you find your podcasts. And we would also like it. I think it's important. If you like our podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, and it helps all of us. Do it for any podcast that you listen to because there's a lot of us out there and it's the way that we can kind of stand apart and share what our conversations with other people as well. So it's And it's frankly, really we don't care if you listen to it or if you like it. We, we would appreciate if you went and left positive reviews yeah, yeah, on I've, iTunes and if you can get your, <laughs> blind you know, reviews, your roommates, right. your parents. Make up some people. <laughs> We're big in the Russian bot community. <laughs> okay, listeners, your turn. Um, before you go and subscribe to their podcast, who is your favorite pop culture president? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet at us individually. I'm at Brian Truitt. Brett Molina is at Brett Molina23. Kelly Lawler is also out this week. She's at K Lawls. Where can folks find you guys on Twitter? Uh, my handle is at Philippe Arnas, spelled out as it sounds. No, I'm kidding because no one gets that right. It's <laughs> at P H I L I P P E R E I N as in Nancy, E S as in Sam. You can check out Unredacted, our podcast, at Unredacted DSR on Twitter. And I am at CIA Spy Girl, which is not a very subtle handle. I know. But it's catchy. Yeah, that is true. And don't forget, you can email us, too. We're at mothershippod at usatoday.com. But we're going to wrap things up here. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Philippe and Emily. Thank you. For the second time coming back. Uh, special thanks to our pilots slash producers of The Mothership this week, Channing Green and Natalie Boyd. Raise the roof. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, like Emily said, how about leaving us a rating or review? It helps other people find the podcast. But if Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next Friday, political nerds out. See you on the feud. (laughs) 